to hear the Mark Trammell Quartet, isn't it? They anoint, they're anointed of God. They minister life to us. Thank the Lord for it. Well, if you have your Bible this evening, I invite you to the book of Romans chapter 8. I want to share a few thoughts with you from a passage of Scripture that's been on my heart today. I may be preaching out of self-defense tonight. I don't know. But there may be someone else in the building that the Lord will help and speak to through these verses as well. Let me introduce the text by saying to you that I'm a man surrounded by bad news. Now you are too. Every time you turn on the news and pay any attention to what's happening on the national or the international level, you're confronted with things that disturb you, distress you, upset you. Bad news everywhere you look. But that's also very personal for me. I don't guess a day goes by, in fact, today, again, hardly a day goes by that I don't receive a text or a message or something from someone, dear friend, someone that I love dearly, for whom the bottom has dropped out. And I mean, life has crashed in, and it's hell by the half acre. In fact, I said to my wife not long ago, I feel like sometimes I don't even want to answer the phone or check the messages anymore. I mean, it's just everywhere you turn. Bad news, catastrophe, disaster, physical ailments of one kind or another, family collapses of one kind or other. You, you, you deal with that as well, don't you? And every once in a while, I just ask myself the question, is there any good news? I mean, anywhere I can look that will put a spring in my step and a song in my heart again. Well, I'd like to share some good news with you tonight. There's plenty to depress you. There's a lot that we ought to be burdened about, that we ought to be laboring in prayer before God over. Certainly that's true. But there are also some things for the believer that, that minister life to us and help to us, even in the darkest of hours. And some of them are found in the passage I'm going to read to you tonight. Verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. And as we begin to read, I want to say I always get caught up in preaching, Brother Charles, and forget the amenities and the niceties of the ministry. But I am not uh, unmindful of the great honor you've given me to be here again. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this conference and for the kind remarks you made about me a moment ago. I said to Nancy, they could ask you if I've ever laid an egg or two, huh? And she could tell you some things, but please don't interview her after the service if you don't mind. But I, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now I may not preach past that. I may go a little further in the, in the chapter. But if I don't get past that, I want to get to that at least. Let me, let me give you some good news tonight. Here's some good news. Even when your mind is blown, you're still getting through. I mean, when your mind... Let me read that to you again from another translation. So, too, the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weakness. For we do not know what prayer to offer, nor how to offer it worthily as we ought. But the Spirit himself goes to meet our supplication and pleads in our behalf with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. 
And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is in the mind of the Holy Spirit, what his intent is, because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God in behalf of the saints according to and in harmony with God's will. I suppose every one of us know what it is to come to a time in our lives when the burden of a situation is so heavy on us, the need of the hour is so pressing and so urgent, and our minds are so confused and twisted by circumstances that we literally want to pray, but we don't know what to pray, and we don't, we don't find the, the zeal, we can't summon up the zeal to pray as we know we ought to be. Do you know that even in those kinds of times you are still being heard in the courts of heaven according to the perfect will of the Father? Even when your mind is boggled and overwhelmed and you have no idea what to say to God or how it ought to be said, your prayer is still reaching the heart of the Father with effect and effectiveness. Is there any good news for me this evening? Even today I need this good news because today, again, I received a text, and we've been laboring in prayer this afternoon. Our minds are blown. How do we even pray over this situation? It seems to be unsolvable. It seems to be irredeemable. What do we do? How do we pray? And today the Lord has reminded me again of this great and precious truth. I have a companion. I have a comforter, the Holy Ghost of God, who is literally interceding for me right now before the throne of God. Right now, the Holy Ghost is praying the perfect will of God over this situation that burdens my heart. The fact is the Holy Spirit interprets our prayers to the Father and he shapes them in accordance with the perfect will of God. That's not a startling thing. Our text says he helpeth our infirmity. That's a tremendous word. It's all one word in the original text. It takes multiple words in the English translation to try to wrap our minds around it. One word in the original text, it means to lend a hand together with. It means, it means taking hold of us at our side as we're laboring in prayer. The Holy Ghost comes along and lends his hand in the labor of prayer. And at the moment that we lift up our inarticulate groanings to God, the Holy Ghost translates them into the exact thing that ought to be prayed in that circumstance. He comes to us in our ignorance and our weakness when we, when we have no idea what to say to the Father. And if we did know what to say, we don't have the kind of earnestness that we know we ought to. We've had our zeal sapped away from us by the deep burden of the moment. And the Bible says he intercedes on our behalf with sighs too deep for words. And best of all, the Spirit's praying through us and for us is always according to the will of God. It is in accordance with the divine nature and the divine will. Now, let me ask this. Does this promote laziness in prayer? Does this mean that I can neglect to pray because the Holy Ghost is praying for me, interceding? No, that's not the point of the text. The promise of this passage is that the Spirit cooperates with us as we pray. As we go to the Father with our hearts heavy and our, our, our tongues numbed and we begin to moan before the Lord. Have you ever been in a place where your prayers came down to groans and moans and you couldn't put into words the burden of your heart? The picture here is of a child of God engaged in prayer, feeling confused, feeling ineffective in his intercession, but the Holy Spirit says he's working through that prayer. Not instead of me praying, but as I pray, the Holy Spirit works through that. That classifies as good news tonight to me. 
I thank God for the fact as I seek the Lord and walk in the Spirit, yielding myself to Him, I don't ever have to fear an ineffective or an unanswered prayer. Now you think about that a minute. I don't ever have to fear an ineffective or an unanswered prayer because the Spirit Himself, that's the emphasis of the Greek text, the Spirit Himself says He is going to take my prayer and translate it in the perfect petition, the perfect intercession for the situation. Is there any good news? The good news tonight is even when my mind is blown, my prayer is still getting through. There's, there's some more good news. The good news tonight is even when things are bad, they're still good. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren." Has it ever dawned on you that even when things are at their worst, God is still in control and He is on your side if you've been born again by His amazing grace. And the good news of the Word of God is that the sovereign Lord, the in-charge God, is personally superintending the specific circumstances of my own life. And He has promised that things are moving toward the goal of ultimate good. The text says all things work together for good. It means they cooperate with one another. Again, all of those English words from one Greek word, they work together, they intertwine. All of the individual elements of my life are under divine control and they are weaving together into a tapestry that is going to glorify God and is going to be good for me. Now you remember the testimony of Joseph to his brothers in Genesis 50, Joseph said, As for you, ye fought evil against me, but God meant it unto me for good. Joseph's, Joseph's brothers were motivated by jealousy and by hatred, and what they did to Joseph was wrong. It was evil and wicked, and nothing will change that. They were, they were seeking to hurt him and ruin him, and they're accountable for the malicious deeds and thoughts that they had against their brother. I'm not minimizing the awfulness of evil. But God was above the situation, superintending the circumstances of Joseph's life. And those very deeds that they thought would ruin him and defeat him turned out to prosper him and to bring deliverance to multitudes of others through his life. And that's what our text says is true of every one of us. All of these things that disturb us and burden us and bother us, there's a divine sovereign will involved in this, moving and manipulating things to get us to a place, the place that God has determined. One of the great spiritualists of yesterday wrote these words in 1685. She said, you must utterly believe that the circumstances of your life that is, every minute of your life, as well as the whole course of your life, anything, yes, everything that happens, have all come to you by His will and by His permission. You must utterly believe that everything that has happened to you is from God and is exactly what you need. Once you believe this, you will then begin to take everything that come into your, comes into your life as being from the hand of God and not from the hand of man. Jerry Bridges wrote a wonderful book under the title, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And he said, over all the actions and events of our lives, God is in control doing as he pleases. Not apart from those events or in spite of them, but through them. 
God controls both the good and the bad. God has not looked the other way or been caught by surprise when adversity strikes us. He is in control of that adversity, directing it to His glory and our good. Is there any good news in the midst of all that would depress us and move us to despondency? There's some good news tonight. And the good news is even when things are bad, they're still good. Now before I leave this portion of the passage, notice carefully what the Bible says is the good that all of these things are working together for. All of these things work together for good to them that love God or the called according to His purpose. Well, what is His purpose? That's the good end that all things work together toward. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The predestined purpose of God is that all of the events that come into the life of the Christian will move us toward the goal of conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word translated conform in this passage speaks of gradual change to an inward, not just a superficial, but an inward conformity. In other words, God's goal for me is not that I just act like Jesus, but that I am like Jesus on the inside, in my mind and in my heart. The big question tonight is not what would Jesus do, it's what would Jesus be? What would be his attitudes and his feelings, his thoughts and his character? And through the good times and the bad times in this life, I can rejoice in knowing that there is a good news for me, and that good news is that God is controlling the specific events of my life to produce in me the peaceable fruit of righteousness, making me holy as he is holy, conforming me to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there good news tonight? Is there anything that I can rejoice in? In such an hour as this, as the dark tides roll in and it seems as if the devil has the upper hand and and the hour looks bleak, there's good news tonight. And the good news is even before you were born, you were glorified. Look at verse 29 again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. The good news of this passage is that all of my salvation, including that part which is still in my future, glorification is still in my future, and yet in this text, it's spoken of in the past tense, written as if it's already happened. Do you know before the world was ever created, God foreknew you? He knew you in advance, and he chose to have a relationship with you before you ever existed in time and space. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee, and I set you aside to be a prophet to the nations. Ephesians chapter 1 says, we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, I know some folk get boogered up right there. They start to get bent out of shape, and someone will probably ask me after the service, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? And I want to answer like Ron Dunn did years ago. What do you want me to be? I ain't in the mood to argue about it. Amen. Here's what I am. I'm a biblicist. When I come on a text that says, whosoever will may come, I preach it as hard as I can. But I ain't scared of the other text that says we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I don't understand how all these things work out, but I can read the black and white of the Word of God, and the Bible says, Whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
There's some things that happened before this world was ever formed that are being worked out in human history. And part of it is God foreknew those that would trust Jesus and give their heart to him. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. It began there, the foreknowledge of God. That's in eternity past. The world wasn't even formed when that took place. That was God being God, knowing all things, knowing what I would do with the gospel when it came into my life. That's back yonder in eternity past. That make sense to be in the past tense whom he foreknew that ought to be a past tense verb and now I've been saved since I was a nine-year-old boy I'm 54 years old tonight so it makes sense that the next verb would be in the past tense whom he did foreknow them he did predestinate those ought to be past tense that's in eternity past but the next verb is whom he did predestinate them he called well I, I got called by the gospel when I was a nine-year-old boy I heard the gospel call and I said yes to Jesus, and I got saved. That ought to be past tense. That happened years ago. And it says, whom he called, him he justified. That ought to be past tense. That happened the moment I trusted Jesus. That's past tense. That took place years ago. But the next verb doesn't make sense. Whom he justified, them he glorified. You know what glorification is? That's when the trumpet sounds and we get a new body. That ain't happened yet. <laughs> Brother, every time I step up and down off a platform, I know that ain't happened yet. I don't have my new body yet. So why does the Bible speak of that in the past tense? In the mind of God, which is where reality exists. Reality exists in the mind of God. In, in the mind of God, before the universe was ever called into existence, I had not only already heard the gospel and answered the gospel, but I had already wound up in heaven. Before you were ever born, you were glorified. Is there any good news? How secure am I anyway? How saved am I? Brother Billy Bridges used to say, that. bless God I'm so saved I could swing out over hell on a rotten corn stalk, spit the devil in the eye and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Brother, I'm saved. I'm so saved that God already speaks of me as if I'm in heaven. I'm still here before you. You can see me. You're not blind. You're not stupid. Here I am. I'm not in heaven. I'm on earth. But God speaks of me as if I'm already there. No question in the heart of God about it. Whom he did foreknow, that starts the chain of grace all the way to he glorified. That's the end of my experience of his chain of grace in, the, in, the, in personal salvation. All of that spoken of in the past tense. N let me give you some good news. Even when you're blamed, you're still graced. Even when you're blamed. Look at verse 31. We'll read it quickly. Verse 31 picks up right after that great statement, whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? We ought to say something to them, right? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Even when I'm blamed. There's a picture here of an accusation. The Scripture draws some conclusions from what's been said just now. The fact is Christians are people with enemies, and we're subject to malicious attack, microscopic scrutiny, and often accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. The world will accuse us of everything from being insane to being demon-possessed. And even our own consciences accuse us because often we ought to be accused because of our stubbornness and our stupidity. 
But the good news is that even when we are blamed, even when someone would try to lay blame on us, God has declared himself unquestionably on our side, and he has made us accepted in his beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been made the righteousness of Christ in him. Ephesians 1, 6 says, I've been made accepted in the beloved. I don't have to earn God's acceptance. He's given it to me as a gift because of the work of the cross. And Hebrews chapter 10 says that he has perfected forever. Now, all you have to do is ask my wife a couple of questions. You'll find out I'm not perfect. But the Bible says I've been perfected forever in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus. The triumph of this passage centers in the idea of the justification of God, the gift of righteousness given me because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And there's a special blessing in verses 33 and 34 where the Bible pictures a courtroom scene. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. To lay to the charge, those words in the original language are technical. It, it references a technical matter of coming forward as an accuser in a courtroom. It has the idea of summoning a person before a judicial bar and bringing a charge against them of some crime, some wrongdoing. If that were to happen to me as a born-again believer, if, if by some means I were to be summoned before the judgment bar of eternity and accusation laid against me, the text says, Christ the Lord, the King of glory, arises from his throne and he himself steps to my side and assumes the role of my advocate and my lawyer and my legal representative. You remember that Jesus said in John chapter 5, the Father judgeth no man. He's committed all judgment under the Son. So Jesus is the judge. Imagine a scene in the courtroom of eternity. Accusation is attempted against me, and the judge himself gets up, lays his robe aside, steps around the bench, and walks to my side and says, I am the attorney for the defense. Ladies and gentlemen, I have friends in high places. Is there any good news? Glory to God tonight. Even when there's something that could be justly said against me, I have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Is there any good news tonight, my friend? The good news is even when I'm bombarded, I'm still grounded in victory. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake... We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, and this is the root of his victory, you see, more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate, separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I remember the Michael W. Smith that was song that was recorded several years ago, a number of years ago now, Never Been Unloved. I like that song. I listen to it every once in a while. It, it speaks to my heart. He says, I've, I've been unfaithful. I've been unkind. I've been un-everything you can think of. I've been un-everything you can think of except for one thing. I've never been unloved. The love of God secures my victory tonight. The good news 
of the Word of God is that the Lord loves His people with an everlasting love. These verses describe every kind of calamity as well as every conceivable category of obstacle and the conclusion that underlines it all is none of these things can take away our victory in Jesus because our victory is not based on our circumstances. It's based on this bedrock truth. God loves me. He loved me all the way from eternity past with an everlasting love. He loved me at the cross of Calvary as the ultimate price was paid for my sin. I am loved of God. We hear that so often we don't take it seriously. We just take it in stride and think it's just to be expected. I preached a meeting some years ago in a Baptist church and a woman got so mad at me. I didn't know it till after the meeting was over. The pastor told me I didn't know it had happened. That's the way I like it. I wish folk wouldn't tell me. You know, I, folks always feel obligated. to. T it happened in this conference a couple of years ago. Someone, not, not anyone in the building right now, I happen to know for a fact, so you don't have to be bothered about that, but. Someone came to me after a service and told me what somebody had said about my preaching. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know. The meeting was over and the pastor said, that lady that was there Sunday morning got so mad at you she didn't come back to the meeting. And I was trying to think what I'd preached. You know, you preach a meeting and I thought, Sunday morning. And I said, well, my goodness, I preached on for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. She got mad at that. He said, yes, she got mad because you said God loves us not because of who we are but in spite of who we are. That we're unlovely and unlovable. That in fact, he ought to be repulsed by us and hate the very sight of us. That's what he ought to feel when he looks at me. And yet he's chosen in his sovereignty to love me in spite of all of that. He said, that's why she got mad. She didn't think she was repulsive and ugly in the sight of God. But that's the truth tonight. God ought to hate my guts, but he loves me with an everlasting love. You know, I ought to be able to take, I ought to be able to take whatever the devil can dish out if I can just bear in mind there, there is some good news. The Holy Ghost lives in me to interpret my groans and my moans into the perfect will of God in the situation. And even when things are at their worst, really they're still good because God's in charge of it all and He's moving me towards something very particular. He's conforming me to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just making me look like Him on the outside, but think like Him and learn to feel like He feels in the circumstances. He's conforming me to the Lord Jesus. And before the world was ever formed, it was already a settled deal. I was going to wind up in heaven. There's no question mark attached to that. Right now in the middle of it, the devil can point his finger of accusation, but I have an advocate. I have a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ who pleads his blood over my case. And in the middle of all hell breaking loose, this is where my victory stands. I am loved of God and nothing will ever change that. He chose to love me when I was not lovable, and that's where my victory abides tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this passage. I know it's familiar to us, and sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Even in the people of God, we get used to hearing these things, and it becomes old news to us, and we forget the wonder of it. God, help us to be amazed again that you would treat us like this and love us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.